Welcome to Consilience, an African science podcast, brought to you from Johannesburg, South Africa. Consilience is a weekly podcast dedicated to promoting reason, skepticism, and a scientific worldview in Africa and beyond. Welcome to Consilience. Today is August 29th, 2012, and I'm Owen Swart. Joining me today are Michael Meaden. That was my dramatic pause. <laughs> Good evening. And Danny Cobbing. I don't have dramatic pause, I just have normal pause, like any other bear. And also joining us this evening, we have Dr. Professor Daniel. MD. Muti Doctor. Muti Doctor, yes. Yes. <laughs> what? What, what, what? Please what, can we start this again? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we're keeping that. We're keeping that. It's going in. It's awesome. It's going in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, uh, before anything else, let's... Uh, Let's get started with teaching Angela to appreciate history. So this is the part where one of us tries to inculcate a sense of wonder and awe about days gone by into our, our fellow podcaster, Angela Meaden, who isn't joining us and for this episode. And it inevitably fails. Pretty but much. We always yeah. try. Yeah, we, you know, always we try. try. It's now she's got a baby. What does she care about history? No, exactly. It's a Sisyphean task, but it's one that must be It's attended. a what task? Sisyphean. Sisyphean. Like Sisyphus. Are you saying Greek that his major? wife has got syphilis? No. I'm saying his wife has got Sisyphus. <laughs> what does that mean? It's the, it's the Greek myth of the, 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 I think he was a king who was uh, sentenced to, um, uh, when, when he went to Tartarus because he led a, a bad life or he upset the gods or something like that. His sentence was that he had to roll a rock up, up a hill every day and then it, at night it would roll back to the bottom of the hill again and then you'd have to roll it back up the next day. I think you, I think you used that metaphor wrongly. She passed a rock. She's not having to push a rock up a hill and bring it back down. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, no, the task is... And of course, there's oh, the famous book by Camus, or the essay by Camus. Well, about it depends Sisyphus. on whether you bind the essay or not, then it becomes a book, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose, yeah. yeah. Whatever. Anyway. Yes. Um, tell us about um, your Sisyphusian... Sisyphalian... Syphilitic. Syphilitic fig. With great specificity. <laughs> so, uh, on this day in 1965, Gemini 5 landed. Oh, astrology. Yes, this is our astrology, astrology story. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm the only one who can do Professor Dr. Daniel <laughs> sorry, MD, Muti Dr. voice. My mistake. Um, so, Gemini 5 was one of the uh, American space thingies. And a zodiac sign. <laughs> <laughs> The Gemini program was the successor to the Mercury program, which was the, the program to get a, a, a humans into into space. And uh, it was the predecessor of the Apollo program, which, which was to get humans to the moon. So Gemini was basically testing the technology for the, the, the Apollo program. Gemini 5's job was to go into space for about as long as it would take to, uh, to get to the moon and back, which was eight days. And it succeeded. They did a couple of other tests, like they, they tried a space rendezvous and things like that, and uh, it was all pretty good. And now you know why this one worked. Mm -hmm. Because it was an astrological sign. Oh. Gemini. Whereas Mercury and Apollo didn't. That's true. Well, uh, Mercury. And, so. and Apollo kind of did. Yeah. Listen, Apollo. don't come here with your facts. <laughs> <laughs> they kind of landed on the moon. No. I'm Professor Dr. Daniel M.D. Murti Doctor. Excuse me very much. Thank you. All right. Okay, let's save that for the segment, shall we? <laughs> oh, you said segment. Okay, go. <laughs> All right, so... Segment um, Freud. We, we, 
God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Someone help me. Yes. So uh, we've got some updates as well. Last week we covered the uh, the Maracana massacre um, and some of the skeptical aspects to that. And and Tom Maiden very kindly left us a couple of links about um, uh, some other aspects of it that we, we didn't really uh, look at or, or have come up since we, we t- spoke about it last week. One of which is the whole idea about how a rabbit was blamed for uh, for the Lonman deaths. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, couldn't they find the lucky rabbit's foot or something? No, it was the the, the Sangoma who came to give the muti to the mine workers said that there there was a there was a rabbit on the hill and he told warned all the miners not to kill the rabbit. But then someone killed the rabbit anyway and ate it, presumably. Wow. And that's because, the, that's why the Muti didn't work. Because See, they killed the rabbit. Oh, that makes sense. Now, I don't understand. Why would police shoot at a bunch of little children? And why do we make little children work inside of mines anyway? <laughs> I mean, why do you put miners oh, in there? No. <laughs> uh, yes, okay. For, for we apologize for Danny. <laughs> Danny. <laughs> See, they have me on here for my thoughtful insight and... Scientific contributions. Yeah, so, um, all right. So, so thanks to, to Tom Aiden for giving us those links and, and filling us in on, on uh, some of the more craziness and, and stupidity surrounding the Maracana thing. Um, yeah, that was a bad thing that happened. All right. Anyway, shall we move on <laughs> to the news? I guess. <laughs> the news. All right. Our first news story is a sad one. Neil Armstrong. Died on what was the date actually? It was the twenty eighth day, was the two days the twenty ninth, yeah, must have been the twenty fifth, yeah. Yeah, very sad, very sad. Oh indeed. First man to step foot on the moon? Yes, yeah. Well allegedly. Apparently. Yes. Oh jeez. Well, to to step foot on, you know, the model that they put together in Hollywood. Yeah. You know. Because of course the Russians didn't have radar and they couldn't see them going to the moon. Yeah. And they they kept that shit secret because they liked losing yeah. the Cold War. Yeah. Mm. And the mirrors on the moon were left by aliens. Robots. They were left by robots. Ro- yeah, robots, because we bounce lasers off them. Yeah. But, yeah. And actually women driving by the moon on their way to work and mm. do their makeup. That's true. That's true. With the so, mirrors. Yeah. So, yeah, Neil, <laughs> Neil Armstrong, um, who, yeah, as we said, was the first man on the moon and first human to step foot on another world, set foot on another world, um, he died. He was 82 years old. So he had a, he had a, a good run, I guess. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's gone. He's no longer with us, which is quite sad. Mm, it's, uh, yeah. one small step for man, one giant weep for mankind. Indeed. And, um, and of course, the, uh, the conspiracy theorists' bullshit has already started. I, uh, I'm uh, shocked. Yeah. Too surprised. So I found a couple of examples just to just to illustrate it. So here's one. He, meaning uh, Neil Armstrong, died three years, two months, and one day after Michael Jackson, the moonwalker, died. Might there be some kind of connection there? Looks like a kind of countdown of sorts. Three, two, one, liftoff. Three years after Michael Jackson. Well, apparently. What? Can't these idiots use Wikipedia? Apparently not. Um, here's another example. It's very sad. The mason who wore an apron on a set that was meant to be the moon has died. A man who shied away from the media all his life, guilt maybe, has bitten the bullet. A ma- master mason like Buzz Lightyear. Speaking of Buzz, I met him once and he was an arrogant shit. A horrible little man. He wouldn't even sign something for me. Moon landing my arse. So why did he want something signed by Buzz Aldrin? Yeah. 
if he didn't think you went to the moon. Exactly. You know what I think Bo should have done? should have punched that asshole in the face. Yes, he should have. He's got a habit of doing that, Yeah, he? he punched that one guy in the face, which is awesome. He should punch more people in the face. He should punch he these should. guys in the face. He should. And th- there's another one, apparently. Uh, I haven't read this one, but, but Angela p- p- put it here in the doc for us. Um, the, the 303 thing. So so Neil Armstrong died at 303 in the morning, which apparently is not true. And in Genesis, 303 is about God creating the moon, which is also not true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so two things that are wrong yeah. combining... Yeah. Into a big pile of fail. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. That. Thank you, Internet, yeah. for that. But um, Armstrong was an interesting guy. There's a quote said by Neil Armstrong at America's National Press Club in the year 2000. And I think it says quite a lot about who Armstrong was. Um, I am and ever will be a white socks pocket protector nerdy engineer born under the second law of thermodynamics, steeped mm. in steam tables in love with free body diagrams, transformed by Laplace and propelled by compressible flow. Awesome. Yeah. That's, and mm. that's the thing to understand about these guys who went to the moon. They yeah. were awesome people. Yeah, There's this were. great anecdote from the same article. So I got this quote from the economist obituary of um, Neil Armstrong. And there's the story that, so that there was a, a flying contraption, as they call it, called the flying bedstead. Oh yeah, that was flying bedstead. <laughs> it was it, it was helped. It was used to help train astronauts to l- do a, a lunar landing. So it was a simulation, but it was an actual mm-hmm. plane that on Earth that you got into and yeah. you, you practiced. I wouldn't call that a plane exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was a, it was a. It's a flying object. Yeah, it was a. Yeah, it looked a like a giant bed with a projectile with safety features. Yeah. It, yeah, well, it looked, looked like a bed, but with rocket engines underneath it. It was <laughs> a terrifying machine. And uh, he crashed it one day. Uh, this is before they went to the moon, obviously. And he ejected only seconds before his craft hit the ground and exploded. It was mm-hmm. like well, one second or so, and he, otherwise he would have died. And uh, he sort of dusted himself off and, and went back to the office for the day and <laughs> did some paperwork. <laughs> That's the kind of unflappable person he was. Awesome. And when he landed on the moon... The original landing site hmm. was full of huge rocks, so um. very, very large rocks. So it was too; it was not safe to land. Hmm. It was a very close run thing. Hmm. They could have crashed, and so he he literally had to switch over to manual mode and fly um, eagle um, manually hmm. and look for a new landing spot visually. Hmm. And he was flying that thing, and they had something like twenty seconds of fuel left That's right, yeah. when he landed the thing. And and yet he displays no emotions. He's not frightened or scared or anything like that. Well, he does forget an indefinite article. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But mind you, if you're landing on another fucking planet, yeah, that's fine. We and can, you forget we can, solar yeah. system body, not planet. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Close yeah. enough. We we can forgive a flood blind <laughs> from the awesomest guy from the last hundred years. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm an astrologist. Okay. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Don't flub your lines now. <laughs> But he he was a, a fantastic person as well. He was he was very reserved. He didn't go at, and try to make something of his fame. So mm-hmm. a, a bunch of the other astronauts kind of went off the rails a bit mm-hmm. and went into woo woo. And obviously, a, a bunch of astronauts went into politics. Right. Yeah. Uh, John Glenn, for right. example, was a senator for for many years. And I mean, that's not to say that's necessarily a bad thing, although. 
not the hugest fan of politicians, but he just, he literally went back to being a lecturer yeah. at university. And that's what he did for the rest of his life, yeah. which must have been awesome for the undergrad. I know. Right? <laughs> I mean, imagine going to study engineering and you are being taught by freaking Neil Armstrong. Armstrong. There was a, there was a skit by comedian Brian Reagan. And uh, he would say, oh, you know how you hate people always trying to one-up you mm. when you're telling stories, you know. So he tells a story about, well, you know, if you ever meet Neil Armstrong. I think he was talking about Neil Armstrong. He's like, oh, well, you know, I did this and then the other Neil Armstrong will pipe up. I walked on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine if you just didn't know what the guy looked like. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, that's true. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to spot him in a crowd. I mean, I've seen photos of him, but, you know, th- those photos are all really old. I wouldn't know what he looked like recently. Yeah, I could would have would have walked past him in the street and not known. Maybe he did. Maybe I did. No, that's pretty unlikely. Because I think it'd be even weirder now, though. Yeah, it would be even weirder now. Well, when Elvis comes, yeah, now then it'd be fine. Dancing with the other moonwalker, yeah. Michael Jackson. When the raptor comes, I mean. it would be pretty cool though if you come back in the same condition in which you died, though. You know, Neil Armstrong would come back with a busted heart, mm. but Elvis would come back with his pants around his ankles. Right, right. You know, going like this. <laughs> So, some <laughs> juice. <laughs> Skip that next one. Skip that next one. All right. So, um, has UCT found a cure for malaria? No. Oh. All right, then. In rats. Kind of. So, what's the story? Okay. So, this is a bunch of hoopla about something that is potentially promising, but isn't actually all that much to write home about at the moment. And, I mean... Uh, so basically what's happened is a bunch <laughs> of scientists, collaborative team from across the world have decided that a particular anti-malarial drug that seems to be quite promising and, and could be a single dose treatment for all strains of malaria, and they've given it the very sexy name of MMV390048. Um, could potentially cure, literally, cure malaria in awesome. one go. One oral dose, I remember. Yeah. And that would be awesome. And they got together, they got Naledi Pandor, who's the South African science minister, to do a press conference. And nice. they announced it. And it's it's the it's a big hoopla about a whole, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And it's a big collaboration between the Medicines for Malaria Venture, the MMV, which is an NPO based in Switzerland, mm-hmm. And the Drug Discovery and Development Center at UCT. Okay. Um, and the, the, the latter is run by Professor Kelly Chiban, Ch- Chibale from UCT. He's, he's a, he's a chemist. Mm-hmm. And it all is really cool. And it was all over the news in South Africa. All the radio stations were talking about it and they were interviewing various people and so on and so forth. And I was very excited about this. I mean, until you look in, at the details. And the details are the following. It is this substance has been selected by a group of uh, scientists. I'm assuming it's a panel who does peer review on the different candidates for a malaria cure. So mm-hmm. the, um, the MMV venture that I've mentioned based in Switzerland has a panel of scientific experts and they've basically decided take MMV390048 uh, to the next level and do more research on it. That's, I mean, that's all they've done so far. Um, and what this thing 
has been shown to do um, is help uh, or attack malaria in vivo in rats mm. and be very effective against malaria in rats. Mm-hmm. And that's really awesome, yeah. but it's in rats. Right, right. And it might kill humans, who knows. But Or it might not work in humans. Right. There are a billion mm-hmm. things that could potentially go wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's extremely preliminary, um, extremely promising, but mm. extremely preliminary. Early days, yeah. So maybe we have to hedge our bets as usual, but I mean, does malaria affect rats the same way that it does us? Does it follow the same pattern? I'm assuming it would. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, I mean, the thing to understand about the transition from preclinical to clinical trials is, is, so preclinical would be in animals. Yeah. Mm. So you start off in uh, in vitro, which is just a petri dish kind yeah. of experiment and when, once in that glass. passes you do in vivo stuff mm. with animals some kind of animal model you could use uh, rodents or you could use uh, chimpanzees Chimp, yeah. and, and crazy um, that's not really allowed anymore but but you know you can use monkeys or you can use lots of different things pigs mm. um and then after that you pass to the clinical stage which is uh, testing in humans now we can't statistically mm. a very tiny proportion of drugs, even drugs that look extremely promising in preclinical trial, make it to the end of uh, stage three clinical trials. And that mm-hmm. takes very long, so. and it takes a decade, yeah, minimum, more like fifteen years. And a, a stage three clinical trial would be the the golden, um, uh, what's the term? Called? Standard. Yeah, yeah, the golden standard. Oh, it's a, a double efficacious uh, and safe, basically. Well, but but it's a it's a large scale, multi center, double blind, randomized controlled trial, mm. placebo controlled trial, uh, that costs hundreds of millions of dollars to do. Science, uh, yes, and involving thousands and thousands of patients. Right. And as I said, a tiny proportion of drugs make it from preclinical in animals to that. Right now, what this is. All we've achieved now is we've got cool results in preclinical trials, mm. which is awesome, but don't hold your breath. Right. Honestly. Now, of course, malaria is an extremely important disease because it kills nearly a million people a year, mm-hmm. um, and it infects many more. And so, in Africa, has a huge disease burden when it comes to malaria, and malaria, of course, causes all sorts of problems, including... Um, um, sort of economic, it holds back economies because people are sick, and mm-hmm. if they're sick, they can't go to work. Right. So, in other words, it's a really important disease. It kills more people than HIV and AIDS, right. despite the fact it gets less money. Um, and the really problematic thing is what's happening recently is that, um, of course, like m- uh, most other diseases, um, the organism in question is becoming resistant to the treatments we have. Right, yeah. And as a result of that, we need to keep developing new drugs just to stay where we are. It's like a Red Queen phenomenon. Yeah. Um, But this could potentially be a game changer, if it works. Awesome. But who knows? That's very exciting. Now, they claim, I mean, I looked for it absolutely everywhere. Um, And, uh, you know, the various press releases for this thing, and it's, there was all sorts of hoopla about people waxing lyrical about, look, Africans can do research too, and a lady pandor, 
gave a very fancy speech about how important it is for international collaboration and whatnot. Yeah. And I mean, all that stuff is, is great. I mean, I'm all for that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but the details apparently were published in the Journal of Medical Chemistry. But I can't find the... I, I spent probably half an hour looking for the article. Hmm. Um Describing the results, but I can't find the thing. Owen uses a, a great tool. I don't know if he's shown it to you. It's called DuckDuckGo. <laughs> no, it's Google. It's, it's not on no, Google. It's I couldn't find it on Google. Couldn't wow. find it on Google Scholar. Couldn't find it on anything. All from wow. Alpha. I, I didn't even try. Wolf. It's a real journal, right? Because medical chemistry, as opposed to regular chemistry, no, no it's alchemy. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a proper journal, and it's, it's okay. full of really. Hmm. Awesome looking articles. Maybe Molecular determinants of ACRB mediated bacterial efflux implications for drug discovery. That's what I'm going to name after. And um, <laughs> synthesis and structure activity relationships of a new quinoline type molecule against trypsomelae brachii. That does sound I'm like sure you pronounced that right. And one more three aminopiperidine based peptide analogs as the first selective non-convalent inhibitors of the bacterial cysteine protease IDES. I said that three times fast. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't I don't even Cuz it's not a bacterium. Um, I don't even No, but that's not it. Uh, I'm just oh. giving you three names of oh. articles in this journal to demonstrate it's an actual the journal. S- the second one, I think that was it. So they no, can it use wasn't. words. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. New quinoline type molecule against Trypsomia brucai. No, b- yeah. because bacter- bacteria uh, malaria is um. Quinoline uh, is a an antibacterial. It's an antimalarial. <laughs> I think. Um, maybe. This is derived from quinine, which is the original antimalarial. Yeah, it's the wrong people. Ah, okay. And it's Trypsomona brachyrodocensi, which is not mm-hmm. now. And okay. I can't remember. Malaria is caused by uh, plasmodium. Plasmodium, that's right. Plasmodium uh, something or another. Toxo- uh, no. no, no, not toxoplasmosis. I've been watching too much house. <laughs> is there toxoplasmosis in house? Awesome. That's yeah, there, there's house. there's even uh, lupus occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> it's never lupus. It's never lupus. <laughs> it was once lupus. Yeah, well, except for that it one. Was, was, yeah. But that's only because, you know, one producer. But that's because that's in the first three seasons sure. it was never sarcoidosis, and then one time it was, and then after that it was never lupus. Sarcoidosis? Mm. Let's do a differential diagnosis, people. Yeah, he he hasn't said that in like many seasons. He used to say that at the beginning, like but differential diagnosis. But real real doctors would never say that. Real doctors don't work in teams of five <laughs> <laughs> on one case, on one patient a week, <laughs> and are really good looking. Yeah. Okay, uh, I just silenced both of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, we we don't get hard ons when we see house. No, we get a hard on, but I just think he's an attractive looking guy. Not not him, his uh, sidekicks. Psychics. Psychics. <laughs> That's how they solve it. Yeah. Don't worry, Gregory. It's okay. not lupus. So I think the conclusion we can come to is that it's a gay talk a lot. Yay. Yeah. Yes. Yay. But maybe not. Yeah. Yay, science. Well, sure. It's cool. It's a science. Yay. It, but, but it is I, like a professional think, yay. Yeah, but yeah. I think this story, it's just a preliminary yay. Yeah, it, yeah. For rodents. You know, if rodents yeah. could say yay, they go, yeah. and then that's about well, it. It's, but good, it's good news for rats. Right. Isn't it like really irresponsible for them to start bringing up the hype about this now, even while it's in pre- preclinical phase? Mm. 
you know, because if it doesn't make it through, then it seems like South Africa is fucked up and hasn't developed the right research. And if it does make it through, it's going to take 10, 15 years. And by then, it's going to be a whole new story all over again. Yeah. So is it, is it just uh, why talk about it now? You, know, you, you think that they need that funding for the next phases of? They're, they've already gotten the funding, yeah. so they've, they're announcing that they're going to study the thing more. Basically, yeah. so it's selected as a promising candidate for future research. So it's putting the rocket ship on the launch pad and saying we've landed on the moon already. Yeah, I think, well, I think you might be right. You think they would have learned from that that HIV drug trial that that backfired badly in oh, in a few years ago. Oh, the gel. Yes, mm. yeah. Mm. I mean, that was really bad, and and they did a similar sort of thing there. They're like, oh, here we we've got this new thing. It's going to uh, solve the HIV problem. We're just going to do some clinical trials, and then it's going to go on the market, kind of thing. And then people started dying, and it was bad. Well, they, yeah. they did a press release. I mean, they didn't just no, a press conference. Press conference mm. with multiple press releases and detailed background documents about all sorts of random stuff. And two, two very words, little people. about the scientific. Inf- I mean, if you go to the the MMVs. Website. It's, yeah, it's like cold fusion. Hmm. Come out of the press conference before you've actually done anything. I mean, I'm not belittling what they've done. I mean, this is no, but, amazing. But but the cold fusion people just did wrong research and then went to the media. Whereas That's these true. people have yeah. done what I'm assuming was good science, but I can't know because I can't find the sure. article. So no, it was an unfair comparison. But I mean, still, it's it's so preliminary and so ineffectual right now. Mm. I kind comparison. of agree with you that it's a bit responsible but from the content of the press releases and so on they weren't so hoopla about the actual discovery they were going on and on about this collaboration and about yeah. these okay. people working together and it's really cool and so on oh, that's good then. and i mean what i found really frustrating researching this article was the inability to find more detailed information about the actual compound oh, yeah. what it is what it does and they, they throw a bunch of things out there, and nobody links to the article, including the the MMV website, and they have the, all this background information about. In two thousand and seven, Professor So and So wrote a business proposal to So and So, so to work together on this, and then So and So phoned him, and and yada yada. There's two pages of stuff about how this collaboration came, mm. and I mean, great, but you yeah, know, the sociology of science is. is sort of interesting when I'm yeah. a bit drunk or something but <laughs> but really we care about the actual thing yeah, talk yeah. about the thing yeah, talk about whoa, the science whoa, whoa, whoa. not the scientists I'm trying to understand this so you're telling me that science journalists don't know what the fuck they're talking about but it, it wasn't the journalists it was, <laughs> it was the actual organization as well oh, with man. the press releases oh, so man. I mean obviously the the, sci- the the articles you read about it was regurgitated yeah. and often incorrect Ugh. summaries of the press releases and the press releases themselves contained n- none of the relevant, important information. So, so I can't tell you, for example, how many rats did they do? How did they conduct? Did they have? Mm. What did they do? Well, I, I don't know because I can't find the article because it was apparently published in this journal. But searching for the people involved at the journal wouldn't get it to you. Putting it on Google doesn't get it to you. Hmm. It doesn't work. I, yeah. I don't know. May as well not exist if it's not not on Google. <laughs> maybe it's coming out in the next edition. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Could be. Okay, so uh, it seems that rhinos are being poached by, for Vietnamese hangovers. So, so n- not exactly, but uh, they, they do seem to be uh, buying the stuff. So it's a, it's a common misconception that rhino horn is used as an aphrodisiac or something. And I have, uh, in my research, which involves sitting on a chair and thinking about things, I have uh, <laughs> traced, philosopher. Yeah, I, I've traced this uh, this idea that it's a, an aphrodisiac back to Leon Schuster's movie, Oh Shucks, Here Comes Intag. 
<laughs> Which was terrible. It was By terrible. the way, that movie was an aphrodisiac to me. Uh, uh, Is that what well, you meant? Yeah. Um, I, I think I think that's, that most of what's wrong with the world can really be traced back to the Manchester <laughs> movies. But, um, he was funny in the 80s. He was funny when you were in the 80s, because you were eight. Sure, sure. That's, that's why I, I he have was funny. good memories of Leon Schuster in the eighties. Yeah, when but you the, were eight. The yes. thing about the Leon Schuster movies is that you, you're laughing, but he somehow managed to find a way for black people to be racist against themselves. Yeah, it's it's just so like I watch it now and I just cringe. Oh, it's just you know, it, it is cringeworthy. It's amazingly it, it, cringeworthy. Yeah. I haven't the, seen it in like fifteen years, oh, so man. I can't really. Panic mechanic. Uh, Do yourself a favor and don't. Even even the new stuff. I mean, I haven't actually sat and watched any of his movies, but I might catch a minute of it here or there while mm. flipping channels or whatever. And it, it's mm. it's exactly the same. It's this kind of closet racism, uh, like really icky feeling stuff. I, I just I can't I can't even watch it. Mm. But um, yeah, back to rhinos. <laughs> um, so uh, what what's actually the case is that it's uh, it's most often used as a, a detoxifying agent to, uh, mm. by people who are, are terminally ill. That's not even a thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's like people who use chelation to cure autism. It's the same kind of bullshit nonsense. So they they take this thing to to detoxify uh, for, for terminally ill people. It's like a last ditch effort. So they'll take rhino horn, and, and um, it's also some kind of supplement that that mothers give to babies for some reason. It's not even clear what for. Um, and, and because of these alleged medicinal properties, it's also a, a, a it's a, an expensive gift. You know, sort of a. You buy somebody to to show them respect or, or honor or something like that, but because of this whole detoxifying thing, it's also become popular as a hangover cure. So people will take it the next morning to to sort out their hangover. And of course, all of this is bullshit. None of this is any basis in reality. Just drink water. No, exactly. Then so, you don't get a hangover. Yeah. So so the yeah exactly. It's just a, it's a complete load of crap. But now the reason it's becoming an issue now is because Vietnam, since the Vietnam War, has been on a steady economic. Uh, under steady economic growth, and it's now reached a point where um, a substantial portion of the local population have significant financial means, and they can afford to buy this kind of stuff. So they have access to it, which makes increased demand, which makes uh, you know, which makes more rhinos dead. But see, now this is when we have to look at it and say, okay, do we try and stop people from poaching rhinos, mm. or do we try the more practical thing, which is to sell basically? fake rhino horn onto the market as the same thing because it's, 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 it boils down to economics after all i mean if the stuff is very expensive hmm. if we flood the market with artificially produced uh, rhino horn it's just basically uh, they're like fingernails am yeah. i right it's yeah. the same kind of uh, pretty much it's, it's ker- kerosene keratin keratin that's it um yeah, or, or even or even real rhino horn. I mean, there are ways of harvesting horns from rhinos yeah, without the grow back. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that they did that with elephants with with ivory. I think it was back in the eighties yeah. that they 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 uh, the, the government got involved in a legal ivory trade, which pretty much destroyed the, the culling industry. There was no more black market value for ivory, and and now we have a surplus of elephants in the country, at least in certain areas. Um, and there's there's no inherent reason why the same shouldn't be. Uh, true for rhinos, um, and a number of scientists are calling for that specifically. But uh, our uh, our environmental affairs minister says that South Africa is not considering legal rhino horn trade, um, at least not uh, for the next year, because it would take too long to prepare a presentation about it. But the thing that really pisses me off with rhinos, right, is we're not killing them for a good reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if I mean, it's still bad to drive something extinct. Hmm. Period. I mean, yeah. clearly. Yeah. But 
at least if we have a good, at least if we're eating it, we're getting some freaking yeah. value out of the thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're like killing a, 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 how much do they weigh? Like a two-ton animal yeah. or a ton animal for a tiny bit of horn weighing two, mm. three kgs, which gets used by credulous idiots in Vietnam and other countries. Mm. That doesn't freaking work. Yeah. I mean, it's the most idiot. I think two, three hundred years from now, people are going to look back at us and go, you fucking idiots. You fucking morons. Yeah. Why the fuck did you do that? If you're going to drive rhinos extinct, clearly the the right of a rhino to live mm. clearly, clearly trumps the right of a credulous idiot to ingest rhino horn, yeah. which is going to do him no good. If rhino horn cured cancer, yeah. or if it legitimate, was, or if yeah. it was delicious. Well, yeah, well delicious would be less morally relevant. Well, yeah, we just produce like the, more like the giant tortoises in Galapagos. Apparently, they were the best tasting meat you'd ever had. And ah. they didn't get a scientific name for, yeah, exactly. for many, many years. Because none, none of, the, of them none made of them long. back. Because <laughs> they, they were all eaten in the boat on the way back. Because they were awesome, apparently. So, yeah, that's a good reason. I mean, I'm on board with driving something extinct if it's delicious. Well, but should sure I go with that? But <laughs> why even drive it extinct? Why don't we just produce more rhinos? Yeah, just, just, just farm it like cows. That makes sense. Yeah, but you know, rhinos are hard. Yeah. yeah, you can't. They need lots of space. Yeah. They're expensive and they're mm. stubborn. Mm. And they're not domesticated. They're yeah. wild animals. Yeah. So it's not so easy. So yeah. Let's domesticate uh, rhinos. Yeah. I mean, they've got plenty of space in China. Yeah. That's true. But how long <laughs> would they last? I don't know. I mean, they, they practically drove the Asiatic rhino to uh, to extinction. I mean, there's what, three of those left? Or something ridiculous? Really? Yeah. Mm. Well, not three, but like a very small number. Few. Yeah. All right. So clearly the answer then is either legalize rhino horn trade or, or, say, goodbye produce, to, yeah. or well, say goodbye to the rhino. Well, is that going to work? I don't yeah. know. I, but, look, I haven't studied the policy mm. issues. There was also that uh, that conspiracy theory around uh, people uh, le- legitimately cutting off rhino's horns, then poisoning the horn and, and, and inserting that into the black market, which turns out turned out to be uh, fake. But it was an interesting... Uh, that would have been awesome. Yeah. It would have been awesome. And, and also, I mean, just the fact that it's a meme that it's out there is uh, is a cool idea. We, I mean, we should do that. If the police finds rhino horn, mm. we can say you, know, you you just take the horn, poison it, yeah, let it go, and then people take rhino horn and die. Yeah, it's their own fucking fault. Then yeah, but then you're blaming the victim. They're not a victim. They're, they're using it. rhino horn. Yeah, yeah. I show the baby. Yeah, well, the parents should suffer that ordeal. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe, maybe Machiavellian maybe. way of looking at things. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> Oh, oh. Okay, my internet is broken. No, mine's gone completely. Um, so we have another depressing <laughs> thing going extinct story. Okay, so another depressing story, but I mean it's it's depressing, but it, there's also a bit of hope there. So it's not all bad. So don't put off the podcast and securists or anything like that. Yeah, not yet. Um, and wait until the next story. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> the, the bad bit of the story is that, unfortunately, Tasmanian devils are not doing well at all. So, for you, for those of you who don't know, Tasmanian devils are sort of marsupials the size of small dogs that live in Tasmania, which is in an island on the sort of south of the mainland of Australia. And these guys are very interesting marsupials. They... They're not very. They're, they're called devils because they they make crazy noises and they're not mm. very pleasant and 
No, they're, they're carnivorous. They're, they're kind of like Wolverines. Yeah. They're, they're kind of mean little buggers. Yeah. But but they're awesome. And uh, they have a, a really uh, bad habit of biting one another during mating. Yeah. And unfortunately, a type of transmissible cancer called Devil Facial Tumor Disease, or DFTD, wow. has absolutely decimated would be a technically incorrect term it's 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 nearly extirpated the devils 85 mm. percent of devils in the wild have died from dftd well that's five percent away from decimation i mean that's well decimation crazy. is only ten percent one tenth yeah one ten percent surviving or 10% no no ten percent dying oh, okay so the roman legions to decimate mm. draw stores oh, okay. yeah. and nine would kill one anyway um and here's a quote from uh, Professor K- uh, Kathy Belov from the University of Sydney and Dr. 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 She was a pterodactyl previously <laughs> until she got a medical degree. <laughs> and Dr. Karen Hogg from the Zoo and Aquarium Association of Australia. That is an acronym. That's an acronym. I'm telling you. Australasia. Australia. Okay. The Zoo and Aquarium Association of Australia. Of Australia. Australasia. Of the Australians. Australasia. The zoo and aquarium. Shut up! (laughs) For fuck's sakes. Uh, Sorry. The Zoo and Aquarium Association of Australasia. And the quote goes as follows The disease has spread so rapidly and disastrously in the wild that we are less confident now than we were a year ago that devils will survive this epidemic. Wow. So literally. The scientists who are um, at the forefront of the conference con- uh, conservation effort mm. are very worried about the survival of these guys. Yeah, so, so this thing is transferred by, it's like a cancer, it's a cancerous tumor that's on yes. their nose, right? It's in their yeah. face. Yeah. By biting each other, they kind of open wounds up in their faces and cells are lit- cancerous cells are literally transferred yep. from one wound into the other. Yep. And then it starts growing in the other one. And it's extremely deadly. Yeah. And there was some indication that, that some of the animals might be naturally immune, um, but that has turned out not to be the case. Now, why do they bite each other on the face while mating? Is it like most of other sex in, in, in the doesn't. wild and it's mostly no. rape? Are you saying you don't? Well, only on occasion. Well, I, why do you think I grow a beard? It's to hide the scars. Oh, I see. I see. So it's just—I mean, it's like it's like uh, zebras and, and lions bite each other. It's yeah. just something they do because they're not very nice animals. because yeah. they're they're assholes basically. Yeah, they are. But awesome assholes. Yeah. I mean, is is most sex in the animal kingdom rape? <laughs> well, a lot of it, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, it's controversial calling it rape. Yeah. So per- perhaps coercive, yes. And there are species that do nothing but coercive sex. Yeah. Maybe it's according to uh, that one Republican legitimate rape. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Apparently. Yeah, maybe. No, let's not talk about Aiken. He pisses me. Let's not. So, anyway, so the only hope for these guys now is uh, a captive breed and release program. And, mm. and that is where it, it can be, I suppose it can be a little bit controversial because what they, what they actually do is they, they capture some live uh, non-diseased uh, devils in the wild mm-hmm. and take them into captivity and then use them to breed. Mm. And that's a little bit on the dodgy side because you're taking a wild animal and, and, and putting it in a zoo or in an enclosure. Yeah. And that, that can be somewhat controversial. Protecting the genes. Yeah. Sure, but but 
the, the thing is with this, it's worked on several other animals on the brink of extinction. Mm. They were saved by the captive breed and release programs. Mm-hmm. So the aim is you, you capture some wild ones, mm. you breed them up as fast as you can, mm. and then you release the uh, the joeys in this case mm. or the babies or the, the pups or whatever the case might be into the wild again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you reestablish a natural population mm. that way. And they, they do that with rhinos too. Sure. On a much smaller scale. Sure. Because it's hard with rhinos. <laughs> it's very hard with rhinos. It's a so, catch and wait for them to fuck off program. Yeah. So, um, between the years 2005 and 2008, they caught about 130 founding animals. Mm-hmm. They were brought into sure. captivity. Um, they were caught as juveniles. Um, and then they were kept in, actually kept in quarantine for 12 months to ensure they were disease free. Um, and then they were relocated to their, uh, you know, zoo homes. And by now, the, what they're calling the insurance population. So they, what they're thinking is actually going to happen is that the Tasmanian devil is going to go extinct in the wild mm. and that all we're going to have left is this so-called insurance population. But the good news is these guys have gone up from 130 in the beginning to 500 now mm, okay. in 26 different institutions. Okay. So it's quite a, quite a widespread initiative they've got going mm. um, and their goal is to capture and maintain 95% of the genetic diversity currently found in the wild awesome. um, and the reason yeah. that's really important is because you get something called inbreeding depression yeah. where uh, so they, if get, they get really sad when they have to fuck their siblings <laughs> well yes <laughs> maybe you do <laughs> don't you only have brothers uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just I'm trying to empathize with people from Boxburg. Right, fair enough. Uh, yeah, as one has to. <laughs> um, so inbreeding depression is where your genetic vigor goes down as a result of having to mate with a close, close relative. relative yeah. A close relative. So if you have, so Danny, for example, if Danny K had a child with his sister, um. They both might carry recessive alleles for certain genetic diseases, and their children will have a much, much higher chance of having um, those rare diseases than if he actually found a girl for once who's not family. For <laughs> but but, but the, 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 the irony of your whole story is that it's actually already happened, because I am a Jew, or at least I was born Jewish, so right. I'm Jewish on my parents' side. <laughs> <laughs> and and that has traditionally been a, a restricted bloodline as well. That's so true. I mean, mm-hmm. Jews are more likely to get Lou Gehrig's disease. We're more likely to have big noses. I mean, you know, if a, right. Jew, a Jew walks into a wall with a boner, he hits his nose first. You guys all know that. Yeah. Um, we, we're more likely to have, I think it's high blood pressure and uh, deviated septums, which I've got as well, which you can hear by my lovely nasal speech. Um, and, yeah, so that's what happens when... I've of course, the Russian or the, or the European royalty mm. wasn't just the Russians with the hemophilia. Right, right. Yeah, the whole of European I mean, that was the royalty. Yeah, and yeah. That, that that's what you get when you have inbreeding depression. Mm. And that's, I think, was a feminist disease. I'm just being controversial for <laughs> controversial sake, but I mean, it's carried by women, and only men can be hemophiliacs, isn't that right? Yep. Wow. Awesome. Okay, so. Uh, the aim is 90, 95% of the genetic diversity. If, and if you can maintain this genetic diversity, you have a much, much higher chance of saving the, the Tasmanian devils. Um, and the reason for that I've already explained. And usually a population is doomed 
when it reaches a low level of population. So even if you've got a thousand animals left, if it's too narrow a range of genetic diversity, mm. that that population is going to die out. So luckily, this was started early, so back in two thousand and five, which is seven years ago already, yeah. uh, and that's before the disease really became extremely problematic. And so they've managed to take all this genetic diversity already, and this captive population is is growing quite fast. And they've also introduced an innovation where they're they're quite they're using quite large um, cages now. It's it's sort of it's more or less free range enclosures that are very large, mm-hmm. and they um you know they they can behave as naturally as possible and they can choose their own mates and so on. But they do they do all sorts of complicated stuff like each animal they put in the enclosure, they genetically analyze and make sure that if they were to mate, they would still maintain genetic diversity and so on. So they're doing extremely good stuff and they're they're doing um the late they're using the latest genomic technologies. They're they're actually sequencing the genomes of nice. the captive animals to make sure they maintain this diversity, etc. Yeah, exactly. Basically they're they're back backing up the the devil gene pool is what they're doing. So can I can I ask a stupid question? Sure. So I mean I you know I know that if if uh, siblings produce children then they usually are they, they have genetic defects and things like that. Not, so, not usually it's more likely to happen. Yeah, well, more like, sometimes in humans, yeah. Yeah. So I think it was there's a 20% chance that happening. That was the last that was the last figure I heard. Something, something like I, that. No idea. It was either 20 or 80. Big difference. But yes. <laughs> I think so it was I 20, mean yeah. that that's not something that's restricted to humans. Is that I mean yeah. is that is that in nature, that, yeah, that, that if nature. an X and Y chromosome, yeah. well, I, I, or is it a chromosomal issue, or is it a developmental issue, something else? Um, I think it's worse in humans than it is in others, in some species. Um, I, I know that with, with like rats, it's really not an issue. You can have generation after generation of siblings mating, and it's fine. Hmm. Um, but with, with humans, it's an issue. I think it, it probably has to do with the, the, the fact that our, our gene pool is really pretty restricted, because we've had a, a few near-extinction level events. Um, so we, we already have these very narrow gene pools and uh, have had a lot of interbreeding in our, in our past already. I think that is an influencing factor. Interesting. Okay. That's possible. But I, I think. generally it's not it's not good for any species yeah, yeah. for it to carry on for very long. Yeah. Sure. And you, Omen is right. Human beings are extraordinarily mm. genetically homogenous, mm. which makes racism a, a deeply idiotic position. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, my, my favorite statistic I always cite when I talk to a racist is there's a, a single troop of chimpanzees that live in the Cameroon with more genetic diversity than the entire human race. Yeah. All of human beings, all six, seven billion of us. Yeah. Seven. I have to get used to seven. Yeah. All seven billion of us, less genetic diversity than a single troop of chimps. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, possibly it's that, but uh, I mean, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but something else they're doing, which is cool, is they're trying very hard to make sure this insurance program minimizes the animal's adaptations to captivity. Mm. Um, so they're trying to re- retain their wild behavior. So Domesticating them. Yeah, exactly. Or, mm. or you know, not, they don't want them to evolve in ways to adapt to a zoo, So which is yeah. why they're, they're using these large enclosures now. Mm. And the good news is they're now studying the... Um, they're testing whether the animals can be released back into the wild. And they're doing that by, uh, last thing I mentioned, they're going to be testing whether these animals can be released into the wild. There's an, uh, a devil-free island that they're going to be releasing the animals onto. 
mm-hmm. and seeing where this these animals can adapt to the wild again, living on their own without human intervention. And obviously, the, they'll be disease-free because they've been quarantined. And so et cetera, they're so. going to release devils onto an island that doesn't previously have devils. So uh, what other species that are living on, living on that island are going to be driven to? Only angels. I, oh, I okay. believe there were devils on the island previously, oh, okay, that makes but sense. then they died, died off, and now they're reintroducing. I could be wrong. Yeah, but that, that, I, that would make sense, yeah. And, and of course, the big problem with the devils going extinct in Tasmania is that their ecological niche will be filled by other animals, yeah. which would be a problem. Yeah, so a non-native invasive species can take over yeah. there. Cats. Yeah, and dogs and Prisoners Foxes. from Ireland. Oh, so, okay. shall we move on to our quote? Yes, it's our sci-fi and fantasy quote of the week, and this one is from Michael. No, it's, no, no, it's not. It is from Ian M. Banks. Okay. Uh. And Ian M. Banks writes in a book called "The Use of Weapons" that. I strongly suspect the things people believe in are usually just what they instinctively feel is right. The excuses, the justifications, the things you're supposed to argue about come later. They're the least important part of belief. That's why you can destroy them, win an argument, prove the other person wrong, and still they believe what they did in the first place. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Good quote. Good quote indeed. A good point. And Ian and Max is awesome. If you've not read the culture series, you should try it. Mm. It's like when Hurricane Katrina came. Sorry, it's like Mm. when Hurricane Katrina came. It's like, well, uh, it just strengthened our faith in God. I'm like, face, meat, palm. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so announcements this week. We have a lot of announcements again. We do. Hopefully not as many as last week. No, some of those things have happened since last week. (laughs) Okay, awesome. So, Joburg, we've got Skeptics in the Pub, uh, the monthly one, happening Wednesday, the 5th of September at 7 o'clock and at the Green and Gold Pub. Where is that on? It's just off the 14th Avenue off-ramp from the N1, uh, opposite uh, MTN. Okay, cool. In the so same center as the spur. You go left. Instead of going right towards Rudderport, you go left at the 14th no, Avenue. No, you go, you go towards Rudderport. But MTN is... To the it's on both sides of the highway. Uh, yeah. Oh so, shit! You're right. <laughs> Never mind. Forget the MTN thing. Well, it, technically, you can go left. It's, it's close to the spur. <laughs> if you get to the to the pick and pay hyperama, you've gone too far. Oh wow! Just look on Google Maps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what are we even Google talking Maps. about? Good okay, plan. Danny. Yeah. Uh, then we've got the Royal Society South Africa Spring Science Showcase Sunday, 9th September, 2012, uh, f- uh, two o'clock to six thirty at the Delta Environment Center in Blairgowrie in Joburg. 120 rand per person and 70 rand if you're a student, a postdoc, or a scholar. The students, postdocs, and scholars aren't people. <laughs> yes. Uh, there's going to be a whole bunch of interesting speakers there, including our friend Adrian, Adrian Tipplady. And that'll be good stuff. Cool. Tipplady. And there's another talk by John Osterwick. He's going to be speaking about um, Does Evolution Really Threaten Religion? And that's going to be on the 11th of September at 6 o'clock at the Origin Center at Wits University. And you should go to just, just to check out the Origin Center because there's some interesting stuff there. Science flies you to the moon. Religion flies you to prison. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay, in Cape Town, we've got skeptics in the pub there. Is this 
Oh, this is the one at Touch of Mag- Madness. So this yes, is yeah, skeptically this. about skepticism in yeah. the pub. This is the this is the other skeptics in the pub. Yeah, with the, a C. The, there's some interesting politics in Cape Town with the skeptics. Mm. Anyway, so the skeptics in the pub is taking place Friday, the thirty first of August at uh, seven o'clock at a Touch of Madness in Observatory. Cool. And then open night at S A A O Radio Astronomy Revolution. Dr. Nadim Uzir from the Square Kilometer Array. Uh, and the SAAO is the South African Astronomical, Astronomical Observatory. Observatory. That's, that's yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> Saturday, 8th of September, 8 o'clock in the evening uh, at their auditorium in Cape Town. That's an observatory. <laughs> As, yeah. An observatory or it's in observatory? It's the observatory. In oh. observatory. The, the area is called observatory. Because After the observatory? I'm no. assuming so. No, it's just a coincidence. <laughs> I feel like you guys are fucking with me somehow. <laughs> no, it's, it's the same as in Joburg. The observatory area was named after the observatory. That's very See, that. um, literal-minded. Yeah, well, there are astronomers after all. Mm. It's like calling Cape Town Cape Town. Yeah. Because it's the Cape. town of the Cape. <laughs> Makes more sense than Mother City. We will yeah. call this New York. We come from York. <laughs> New Zealand, we're Hollanders. We all call this New Zealand. <laughs> Zealand isn't in Holland, is it? Yeah, the Zealand is part of Holland. I thought Zealand was part of Denmark. Oh, well, no man. Uh, isn't it under the domain of the Queen? Google it. Isn't it Holland? I'm I don't think it's really that important. No, I, I, want, to, I want to know this. New Zealand... I come from Hampshire. Actually, this is I, New Hampshire. <laughs> new England. <laughs> we come <laughs> from England. This is New England. <laughs> you you sound like you sound like the you sound like the thing from Madagascar. I like to move it, move it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the king. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Played yeah, by uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. That, that's quite a compliment. Thank you. Only in the first movie. Yes. Uh. Governance, let's see here, New, New Zealand. Z- just Zealand. Just, oh, just Zealand. Z- just go to Zealand. Zealand Ze- is part of Holland. Ze- it must be, because Zealand means land on the sea. Z- Z- Zealand. 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 Spell New Zealand, delete the new. Yes. Zealand. Or also Zealand, not to be confused with Zealand. Or sea world. <laughs> sea world. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Danish, not Dutch. It's oh, actually quite funny. Oh no, it's true. There, there's a Dutch province and a Danish uh, island. They both called Zealand. It's mm. funny because so we're, we're both right. Yeah, we all. It's like the SKA. Yeah. we all win. <laughs> well, if you count thirty percent going to Australia winning. Yeah. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, nah, it was very stupid. <laughs> but no, uh, I've got a friend in America, and he said that he's tired of America and he's going to move to. To Denmark, he's going to start learning Dutch. I just said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great quote by somebody who said, "War is God's way of teaching Americans geography." Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. Yeah. All right, Michael. Do you have a link of the week for us? I do, and it, it is a really good article in Wired magazine. Awesome. All about robo journalism. Robo journalism. Yep, and it's it's the good kind of robo journalism. It's it's not. Don't think of it like robo marketing, where a robot phones you and tries to sell you stuff. This is a really complicated artificial intelligence that, if you feed it data, can write you an article that is indistinguishable nearly from what an actual flesh and blood journalist would write. And this is awesome. So 
there, currently it's really good at writing stories in high data or sort of in, in areas where there's rich data. So, for example, like little league games where, you know, the parents would use iPad apps and whatever to do a play, a ball by ball. Okay. So Billy boy pitched the ball to Billy Bob and Billy Bob missed <laughs> strike one. Basically, <laughs> for American listeners, that's what we think you all, all your names are. <laughs> Billy, Billy boy and Billy Bob. <laughs> Billy <G. laughs> But, uh, anyway, sorry, I couldn't think of any better <laughs> names. Jonathan throws it to Bob, and Bob misses, and it's strike one, basically. And and then literally the the whole game would be recorded this way, and then this algorithm can write you a really detailed article using all sorts of interesting analyses, saying, "Oh, such and such a player had a really good run, and you know, so and so got seven strikes in a row, mm. or whatever." Um, and they can also do it with financial data, so. Uh, company results, mm. um, etc. See, now, I would imagine that writing an article about a Little League game would be a lot more difficult than about writing an article about financial information because financial information has been... Uh, it, it, let me try and rephrase my thoughts here. It will have to understand the game and the context that it's not a serious game, like a, a Little League game, for example, whereas financial information is... Uh, company history, there's comparative results, is that kind of thing. So but, maybe, but they, maybe I'm wrong. But but they're teaching it, so they should they put examples in this article. Read it. It's, I mean, it's okay. it's really interesting. So they have writers who use essentially create a, a template. So if you read sports article articles on a regular basis, yeah, you'll you'll know there is a sort of standard template people follow. So if yes. you read something like Crick Info, or as I do for for cricket information. You know, you get to know the, the, the tropes, as it were. There are maybe five or six different ways of, of writing the article. Oh, uh, Jock Cullis led the innings victory of South Africa over England by producing a, a double century. Mm. Or you so individual performance, or, you know, South Africa has come out of a bad losing streak and okay. by beating England. So, so there are a couple of leads you can take, and they, they've literally taught this algorithm to do that and using common phrases and so on and it can write credible articles interesting and the founder of the company mm. is basically saying he thinks in the next couple of years this is going to take over 90% of the stuff being done is going to rule this awesome. But I mean, <laughs> yet another death knell for the print industry, isn't yeah. it? Well, yeah. well, the sort of guys arguing against that, saying, "Well, which you know, journalists get earning salaries writing little leak stories at the moment. Mm. Nobody's writing those stories, mm. so it's it's writing so more stories. Yeah, oh, God. yeah. There's more crap on the internet. Oh, and I've got um, I've got a link for you, by the way. I'm stealing Angela's link. No, well, you've got another one. Shall we just do Angela's? Because I've got a because Angela's a good one, and it's it's the one that it's one that I would be interested in anyway. Okay. Known about it. Well, my link for you is the six cruelest science experiments ever <laughs> that were done on kids are correct. Interesting. Uh, okay, I quite like that. Is this why you had the Jew on? So that you'd have an excuse to talk about the Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it like the marshmallow taste? That's a good one. Programming kids for violence, then turning them loose on a clown. Nice. <laughs> and how does that compare to Goebbels? <laughs> 
In the early 60s, a psychologist named Albert Bandura wanted to investigate whether children would imitate aggressive behavior without encouragement or active suggestions. So he took a Bobo doll and filmed the video of an adult punching, kicking, and beating the doll with hammers. Because if you're going to hit a clown with something, (laughs) there's no point in fucking around. (laughs) Then he showed the video to a group of 24 young children. A second group was given a non-violent video, and a third control group was given no video at all. All three groups were uh, unleashed one at a time into a room with a bobo doll, some hammers, and even some toy guns. The no guns were featured in either video. As seen in this clip, the kids who were shown the aggressive video wasted no time in showing Bobo exactly what they thought of his inflatable whimsy. Now, did they control for Lebanese children in this study? I don't know. Kids shooting Bobo doll, etc. I might use that next week, but I want to steal Angela's one this week. Okay, that's fine. And I've got it in front of me already. Okay, go for it. Cool, but Danny's first. Danny, have you got a link for us? I do, and it's actually really funny. Uh, I went on a documentary hunt the other day, and I found this interesting documentary called Google Me. Now, nice. Now, what's really strange is that Owen is our resident uh, Google fan, boy, and... Uh, no, no, Go- no, please. I, I'm, I'm a level 63 Google wizard. Have Which you is ever why had sex still with a, a virgin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> reasons why you're still a virgin. Yeah. So, um, and the really weird thing is, okay, so it's about, you know, uh, the, the documentary is about this guy, Jim Killeen, and uh, it's actually quite an old documentary. I'm surprised that I hadn't heard about it before, but mm. uh, he, he goes online and he Googles his name, you know, doing the vanity Google, and um, he finds that there's actually a few other Jim Killeens around the world, and one of them is a pastor, uh, sorry, he's a, he's a Catholic priest, Nice. Then one of them is a swinger, not the same guy, by the way. Um, and then there's also uh, one guy who is a social worker. But I mean, one's in Ireland and mm-hmm. one's one's in uh, 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 Australia, and you know, a couple of them are still in the states, like where he is. And he goes around and meets all of them, which is quite crazy. Awesome. And the really weird thing is that Jim Killeen looks exactly like Owen Swart, our very own, and handsome fella. Yes. Well, no. um, but, <laughs> but if you just if you just watch the the video, it's just hilarious. If you know what Owen looks like, just watch Google me. I, I was just amazed. And then right at the end, I mean, this isn't spoiling anything for anybody, but he, you know, they're just doing this quick fire round of questions, and he says that he's a Scientologist. And oh, I was just no. <sighs> yes. What's wrong with Scientologists? What's not wrong? With Scientologists? <laughs> I'm fair game now. <laughs> Here's your SP badge. Yes. I've got so many thetans mm. pouring out of me right now. So, have you Googled yourself, Danny? Yes. And I found myself. And nobody Danny else. K. And Danny K, of course. No, that's Danny Koppel. I'm... And what about the other Danny K, the playwright? The playwright? Yeah, there's a playwright named Danny K. But I'm Danny Koppel, not Danny K. So, I wouldn't, so I wouldn't Google <laughs> Danny K. <laughs> But you are Danny K. Yeah, we know that's, you. That's that's what you are in the show notes. I am not Danny K. Luke, you are Danny K. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's like this. I can't do that. Remember, I'm a Jew. I just go. <laughs> oh, lovely Star yes. Trek impersonations. Oh, jeez. What about you, Michael? Have you Googled yourself? Yeah. And you find any Google gangers? Well, yeah, my cousin. Oh, and your dad, of Michael Meaner. Well, my, my dad's Harry. Oh, right, he goes by Harry. Right? Yeah. Is that your name at all? Right. 
Yeah, but yeah. nobody. I don't call myself that on the internet. Yeah. The internet does not know my first name is Harry. Oh, now. now they do. <laughs> oh God, Mr. Harry Michael Meaden. Harold <laughs> Michael Meaden. Harold Michael Jebediah Meaden. Yeah. Jebediahs. Jebediah. That's your. That's your. Because all, gen- all Gentiles have uh, Jebediahism in life. We call them goys, not Gentiles. Well, anyway, <laughs> those things. Yes. Yeah, so uh, awesome. Thanks, Danny. Owen, do you have a link of the week? Uh, I don't, but I'm going to steal Angela's one because she put it in the dock before she uh, she flaked she out. She bailed. Yeah. So uh, it's a website called Power Watch, which is awesome because it's exactly the kind of link I would have chosen. And it is an enormous database of, of studies about the dangers of electromagnetic fields. Um, I haven't read any of these studies yet, but uh, it seems to be quite an, an interesting collection of studies. The, they uh, they categorize them into three categories: those that support the notion that radio, that radio that that EMF is a danger, that ones that are neutral on the subject, and ones that disconfirm it. And of course, the ones that they've chosen seem to you know, outnumber the other the, the the ones that support the notion outnumber the other two. Um, but there do seem to be some uh, pretty good scholarly articles in there. So if you've got a few days or or at least a few hours to kill, you can go through those. A few days to kill. <laughs> there are a lot of Reading articles. Reading about EMF. There are a lot of articles on there. Um, yeah, I'd recommend you go and take a look and, and uh, see what data they present. It seems to be quite a, a, an extensive database. Hmm. I expect a full report on my desk in the morning. You can just go ahead and expect that. Or you can just go directly to powerwatch.co.uk. Ah. Cool. All right, then. So, uh, Michael, where can people find you on the internet? Google Plus. Awesome. And, and Danny, where can people find you on the internet? www.dannyk.co.za. You will find uh, somebody who's completely separate from me. I'm not Danny K, the singer, although I would have liked to have been when he was with Miss Leanne Liebenberg. High five. Yes. Uh, no, but you can find me on Google Plus and Twitter. Awesome. Danny Copping. The one and probably only. Can anyone find you on the internet? Are you fine? Can, can you be Go Go Duck? He's an Yes. I can't be Go Go Duck, no, but I can be Googled. <laughs> or you can just no, go. But that's not a word. No, 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 not Go Go Duck. It's not a strip stripping duck. <laughs> it's a Duck Duck Go, like Duck Duck Goose. Go Go Duck. Duck Duck Go? Duck Duck Go. Is that like Go Go Duck? Is that like a Go Go Duck? Go Duck Go. Is that like a different color wrapper for Google or, or what? DuckDuckGo is a search engine that will not watch everything you do. Then what's the point? No, they actually have um, some interesting features on there. They've got a, a zero-click uh, info box, so you can type in pretty much anything, and it will, without you having to even click, it will bring up a bunch of very interesting um, like, links for you. Like Google like, does. Like Google's one. No, uh, Google's only started doing that now after they saw DuckDuckGo doing it. And mm-hmm. also, uh, DuckDuckGo has many more features in terms of little uh, search queries and things like that that you can do. So you can um, tap right into Wolfram Alpha straight from DuckDuckGo. You can I've do got a Chrome app for that. Listen here, you. <laughs> I, just type, I just Chrome type app. Wolf space and then straight into the Chrome. Google Chrome app. You know how you Google know you're a geek? How? When you type anal into your URL bar and it comes up with Google Analytics. Yeah, mine does that. We're geeks. High five. Geek five. (laughs) 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 All right. We've never had sex. Yes, but (laughs) not with each other anyway. Well, I'm except, not so sure except about for that, that one time yeah, in the Galapagos Islands, yeah, after after skeptics in the that one tortoise saw, yeah. yeah, and and afterwards that's when the f- famous goatee picture was taken. Yeah, Danny was a bit sore. 
<laughs> no, 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 it was a picture of his goatee, not a goat suit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, All delete, right, but, um, delete the entire podcast. Yeah. Just fucking delete the whole fucking yeah. thing. You can find all of my stuff at my homepage at owenswart.org, which just so happens to be Google+. Plus. Cool. Well, that's all we have for you this week. Thanks to my co-host, our guest, and to you, the listeners. Be sure to join us again next week for more Consilience. You have been listening to Consilience. Our website is conciliencecast.wordpress.com and you can send us an email to conciliencecast at gmail.com. Theme music is The Optimist by Zoe Keating from freemusicarchive.org.